Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The following podcast is an exclusive presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan J. Pelton from the Prolific Writer Podcast. And you know what I know is that summer is coming soon. And I want to introduce you to you today, one of our sponsors, Bahama Jane's Beach Feet Sand Soap. Comes in coconut, peppermint, and naked. Keeps your feet beach ready all year long. Removes calluses, naturally reduces and removes dead skin. And I know we could all do that. It's a petty in a bar. Great for stimulating feet. And so Bahama Janes is a small handcrafted natural body product company that believes in promoting natural health and well-being through the use of the purest products available. Summer is coming, people. If you want the best beach feet sand soap, a petty in a bar, go to bahamajanes.com. If you put in your order the word podcast, you'll get pretend. 10% off your first order. Go do it. Summer's coming. Now, some intro music. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm so glad that you are here. The podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well in no particular order. So however you found us, whether you're on the train, working out, hanging out with the kids, whatever you're doing, writing that next best-selling book, so glad that you're here. And we hope that this podcast will be helpful to you as it's been too helpful to thousands of people. And as I always say, thank you so much for your kind words and your kind reviews and your kind emails and your encouragement. So really have enjoyed doing this podcast. And as life has been a little hectic, we had a new baby girl a couple of months ago, uh, keeping us on our toes, our fourth child. There's so many of them. I don't know how anyone does this, uh, but it's been a, a great joy and a blessing to 
uh, have these children, but they uh, keep you busy. And so I've been launching the the podcast, the interviews uh, every other week. So a couple times a month. So hopefully that's been okay. And uh, you know what? There's just so much content out there, so much noise. Uh, hopefully these podcasts are worth a listen, even if it's not every week. But we'll get back into probably the every week schedule uh, as we clear out of the fog of baby time. But today, hopefully this will be worth your time and worth your effort. I have a great guest for episode 60, Stephen K. Smith. And Stephen K. Smith is a children's author, and uh, he has been finding great success uh, writing middle grade fiction and uh, kind of found a niche, uh, very localized um, writing as far as where he, he writes and, and includes some ge- geography uh, in his uh, home state of uh, Virginia and, uh, and, and has really found just great success selling, selling books to kids. And, and I love having children's authors on the show. We haven't had that many, I think only a couple, and uh, you're going to learn a lot from, uh, writing kids fiction. And one of the things I, I, I constantly learn from children's authors is that sometimes you think it's like a magic thing that we have to, you know, write a certain way, but, but really it's, it's about still about writing a good story and, and, um, you know, obviously writing it through the eyes of a, of a child. And so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, for those of you that are thinking about maybe children's books, um, but also those that are, you know, listening and want to get to know an author and uh, get to know his books for your kids. Uh, and so I, I think you'll find Stephen K. Smith's books uh, really great and helpful. They're a little bit kind of like throwback of the Hardy Boys days. And he's got some other series going too. We'll talk about that as well. And um, so I was really, really thrilled to have him on the show and you're going to get a lot of inspiration and tips and tricks and, and, and learn about a new author. And, uh, so with no further ado, here is Stephen K. Smith. Welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Pelton, and I'm so privileged today to have Stephen K. Smith on the show. Uh, Stephen is a middle grade writer, and he has written a popular series called The Virginia Mysteries, which we'll talk about, Adventures with a Twist of History. He's also written Brother Wars, and I think he writes uh, a couple books under a pen name for adults. He lives in Richmond, Virginia with his wife and three sons. And I uh, look forward to chatting with uh, Stephen K. Smith. So thank you, Stephen, for coming on the show. Say hello and tell uh, our audience if I missed anything. No. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be on. I've been listening to your show for uh, a few months now and really enjoyed it. So now I think you got the, the highlights. That's mostly I write middle grade uh, mystery adventures. So it's been been a fun time. Well, wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on. Actually, I, I, um, I, I put out a call for uh, children's writers and... Um, didn't get much luck, but uh, I've had one on, I think, so far. And so I'm looking to kind of hearing your perspective on writing kids' books and children's books. And um, I had the, the the fun privilege of writing my first two uh, short little kids' books, and uh, I'd never had done it before, and it was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from you and, uh, and your journey of writing and publishing. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So just to kick off, what, uh, just in your perspective, I mean, you're, you've written, I think eight or nine books now, uh, kids books. Tell me what makes a good, uh, children's books, children, children's book. excuse me. I think ultimately 
something that captures their imagination and their excitement. I think getting kids to read is a, is a big thing. And depending on the age group, you know, it really ranges on, on the kid. You can have second graders that are devouring Harry Potter and you can have, you know, sixth and seventh graders that are barely reading at all. So what I try to do is really make it exciting and, and capture their attention and, and get them into something. And I think that's the key. You know, if, if kids are reading graphic novels or, things with illustrations or just whatever category they want to read, I think getting them into it is, is the key. So I kind of try to think of things that I used to do when I was a kid and the types of books that I read, some exciting adventures out in the woods and different uh, exploring, and, and that's what gets me excited. And I think that that kind of translates out and, and is part of the feedback that I've heard from readers to really make it exciting for them. Well, one one thing we have in common is we, we have – you have three boys, I believe, and uh, I have three boys. And, uh, I do. Just, we just had our first girl, so I don't know what that's like. But uh, I don't uh, either. <laughs> but one, one of the things uh, when I was growing up, and maybe it was similar with you, was uh, just as a uh, – my family read, uh, but as a boy, you know, and I, that was probably before they had ADD and ADHD or whatever – um, but I remember the books that I chose, you know, the Hardy Boys and Chronicles of Narnia, and I needed something that was was fast paced, uh, that was exciting, that was an adventure, that my imagination could go crazy. It couldn't bore me. And it sounds like that's a little bit of the angle that you've taken with uh, some of your Virginia mysteries is kind of the adventure uh, side. How is that factored in as far as just when you sit down to write and think about, you know, the story and the plot and, and what happens? Did that factor in at all? Are you anything like me? Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of times I describe some of my books as being kind of the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, uh, set in Virginia. Um, so, you know, we have, even at our house now, we have lots of Magic Treehouse books, and we were reading a lot of the, the old classic adventures like Tom Sawyer and Swiss Family Robinson and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and all that kind of stuff. But when I was a kid, you know, I burned through the Narnia series, like you said, and where the Red Fern Grows and Bridge to Terabithia and, uh, you know, a lot of those kind of stories. And so that's that's a lot of what's in my mind. And I think a lot of why I write for the age group that I do is that's sometimes I think some of the most meaningful books that, that, that certainly that I read and I talked to a lot of people and those books that you read in that late elementary, early middle school age when you're starting to kind of figure out what you like and what you do, you know, those are really impactful and they stick with you years later. So that's that's certainly a lot of what I think about. And now that I have three boys, you know, I, when I started writing for them, kind of making up bedtime stories essentially is, is the first book that I started. So thinking about what would they like and what are some of the things that they do and the way that they act and behave as brothers. And that certainly was a big influence as to how I, how I started writing. So when you were, uh, kind of making up these stories, bedtime stories and, and thinking about, you know, uh, putting these down on, on paper, if you will. Uh, was that always something that was part of your life? Like, did you always want to be a writer? Did you have those aspirations? Um, or was it kind of through telling the stories that you thought, Hey, maybe I should, should put these down for others to enjoy. Yeah, it's funny. It's one of those things where looking back, you can see a lot of evidence that, that maybe this is where you were headed along the way, but you didn't necessarily realize it at the time. So, um, you know, I still remember some of the short stories that I wrote when I was in school and that type of thing. There were, when I graduated college, I started writing like an annual Christmas letter, even when I was a single guy that some people <laughs> thought was a little strange is why is he having to put all his thoughts down <laughs> and what's going on? And, um, you know, so stuff like that. And, uh, I, I started uh, blogging when I, my third boy was son was born about being a dad to three, uh, three boys. So, 
you know, things like that along the way. And I, I, I like to dig through. Somehow I saved a lot of old papers and reports and things from when I was in school. And even back in fourth and fifth grade, for some reason, I made these little silly little cover pages that said like SKS Publishing Company. And I had like these ideas that I somehow I thought it was great to have this stuff going on. So in hindsight, it, it makes a lot of sense. It was not something where I ever said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be an author. Um, but I like to write and I like to use my creativity and writing papers for school was always one of my favorite parts to do. So it, it makes sense now that I look at it. So when you started writing, uh, I should say, telling these stories and then started to write your first stories, uh, did you give them to your sons for feedback? I mean, what was kind of the initial response? Yeah, that's how it started. And it's funny, the, some of the early drafts of the of the first book that I did actually had my kids as the names of the main characters in the stories because it was really for them and keep them entertained. And and so some of the jokes they used to say and some of the things that they would do and kind of especially in the beginning, some of their behavior between my kids saw itself show up in some of the brothers. And it kind of gradually morphed from there as I started turning it into a book and certainly made it into a series. But yeah, there's a lot of, of just the interaction between the brothers. And I, I didn't have a brother growing up. I had a younger sister. But I think part of the, the dialogue and the way that they act against each other is, is certainly a lot that I, I steal some, some of those themes and in the, in the interplay from my kids for sure. Well, I find that interesting because uh, I, I actually grew up as an only child. And uh, we have four kids now. And, and really, it's funny. My wife has a big family. She had, she had six siblings. And I didn't have any. And so, you know, we started having kids and I watched them interact and I watched them fight and I watched them, you know, wrestle and all this. And I had no concept of that other than, you know, buddies growing up. And so when I started writing, you know, a few months back, I, I did the NaNoWriMo thing and wrote a yeah. couple, couple kids books. And it was funny because I was giving them to my kids to say, like, is this is this accurate? Like, is this <laughs> is this how it really is? Because the story has kind of a family and, and some sibling rivalry and stuff. And it really I had to go on just basically what I was seeing with my own kids and kind of what I really didn't know, um, observing other families and things. So, uh, it was a little bit of my own research, like, like, Hey buddies, this makes sense. Like, is this funny? You know, I don't really know. Is that how that would work? Um, and yeah. it's funny because I find a lot of our conflict, like with my wife and, and, you know, and our kids, it's like, like siblings always do this. They always fight. It's always a competition. Like, what is this? You know, I had, I had imaginary siblings. So, um, yeah. So when you um, when you were kind of, you know, passing back and forth manuscripts or ideas or, or what, what was some of the feedback, like specific feedback that like your kids would give you? I mean, was it, um, you know, did the humor work? Did the voice work? I mean, what, what, what did they give you any corrections of like, hey, dad, that's kind of lame or or this doesn't work or. They have, especially in some of the later books, you know, sometimes, um, you know, that's actually something I use when I talk to, to school groups is, is kind of, especially the jokes as they got, a, as they get a little bit older, they're a little bit more vocal about it. I think when that, when I wrote the first book, they were probably more around kind of six and nine or seven and eight or something like that. So, you know, they were a little bit more just into the excitement of the adventure. And I think now, or as they got a little bit older, they started to give some feedback like, yeah, exactly. That, that's a really lame joke Dad. you please change that before anyone I know ever reads that type <laughs> of thing. <laughs> um, so that kind of feedback, or does this make sense? And actually, they even 
when I get stuck sometimes about thinking about storylines, sometimes I'll call one of the men and they'll kind of talk through with me. Oh, here's an idea. You might try this or no, that doesn't sound like something that would work. So I think it is, you know, some of it, I just go on a lot of it just going on kind of gut feel. And this is kind of the tone that I'm looking for, but yeah, it's, it is helpful to have a few little beta readers running around the house and, and gives you some feedback about, about what goes on for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found with my, one of my sons, you know, he would say, dad, I don't really understand what that means or, you know, it may be like a cliche or, you know, a metaphor or something. And it, it sounded way too adult. So that, that was really helpful to have that kind of feedback. Um, so I know for one of my challenges and, and I'd, I'd love for our audience to know too, especially those that write children's books or they're thinking about children's books is, is getting that voice down. You know, how do you write through the, you know, let's say through the eyes of a 12 year old or through the, the voice of a 12 year old, how did you, you know, what was it like to kind of tap into that, you know, 12 year old. I mean, people say when you write, you really are just writing from your own perspective, but maybe the 12 year old Steven, you know, kind of having that cadence that the way they would talk, you know, obviously you're not writing, you know, long literary fiction. Like what was that like when your first go at this, when you started actually put down the words? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the best thing I can say is, is to be around kids and, and even today's kids, you know, so it's even not just trying to fantasize about what it was like back in the day type of thing. So I think it's a little bit of me certainly, again, remembering some of that feeling that I had when I was a kid about exploring and having adventures, but then really being immersed with, and for better, for worse with three boys in a house, there's just a lot of of back and forth and a lot of conversation, a lot of interaction and fighting and arguing and sarcasm and, and everything else that goes along with that. So I feel like I was, I was in it a lot. I think if you don't necessarily have that age kids, you know, I, I coach sports, I, I teach at our church. And so I'm around a lot of kids, uh, throughout the week and throughout the, the year. So I think it just gives you a sense. And, and for me, that was something It just kind of came a little bit from my gut to say, this is, this sounds right. This doesn't sound right. And, and kind of tweak it from there. But I also try to make it, you know, not super simplex, uh, simple, you know, not too overly complex, but, but not too simplified because I think, you know, you don't want to necessarily talk down to kids either because they appreciate something that's exciting and adventure. And that, and that's part of the, the way I focus on just kind of keeping it fun. Now, when you when you write a story and you have like a story idea or um, maybe somewhere you want to kind of head with the, the theme of the story, um, how much does I always find this this fascinating, especially with like science fiction authors and things. I hear them talk about technology and, you know, how much do you include kind of things of the day? Um, like, let's say you're writing a book, you know, today and you, you mentioned an iPad. I mean, do you get that specific or do you kind of try to make the story a little more general, a little more timeless, if you will? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I'll, I'll answer that two ways. So on the technology, when I do talk about technology, I try not to be super specific with it. So like if somebody happens to have like a, an iPad or something, I might call it a, a tablet or, you know, a video game that they're playing while they're, you know, their their game console or, you know, something that just can be a little bit more vague versus naming like the you know, a PS4, which is going to sound dated in five years from now or mm-hmm. two years from now or whatever right. it's, it's going to be. Um, the other thing I would say, too, is that I try not to make the stories super technology heavy. Mm-hmm. So like my first book was specifically it's called Summer of the Woods, and it's specifically about getting outdoors. Uh, the, the brothers move into a new house after they move to Virginia and getting outside and exploring the woods. And they find some old coins in the creek back in the woods. And, and really 
their whole experience is is about being outdoors and and exploring the house and the woods in a new place. And you know, purposely, I try to skew away from having a lot to do with computers and technology. Not that that's you know bad or wrong, but I just try to to make it as as kind of outside and natural as I can and focusing on, you know, some of the later books talk a lot about history as well. So they're researching some stuff about history and the computers and things, but it's not all about getting, you know, a lot of back and forth on devices and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's in there and some stories more than others, depending on how the the plot line has to go, Mm -hmm. but trying to make it more in the present as as much as I can. I think that's just the tack that I like to take. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. You know, you, I think you mentioned, um, even on your website that you enjoyed like Chronicles of Narnia stories, C.S. Lewis. And, um, you know, I think some of his, uh, why his stories are so timeless is because he doesn't get lost in technology or it's really about the story. It's about the adventure. It's about kids. It's about, um, I think, you know, even his sci-fi stuff that a lot of people don't even know he wrote, um, you know, doesn't right. get, get lost. And it is a different time, obviously fifties and sixties, but, um, you know, it doesn't get lost in all the, the heavy sci-fi technology stuff. And so maybe that's why it sticks around, you know, this idea of adventure, this idea of you know, obviously going outside creeks, you know, finding coins like that could relate for a thousand years, um, you know, yep. regardless of, of who picks up the book. So so let's let's dig a little further into that that idea. So um, Summer of the Woods was your first uh, Virginia mystery. And uh, so tell us where like where the, that idea came, where your ideas come from. How do you kind of decide like where you want to head with the book? And I mean, do you have a long kind of, you know, outlining process or how does that work for you? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of parts to that question. So the first part of it, Summer of the Woods. So we had just recently moved from New Jersey, which is where I'm from originally up in the New Jersey, New York area. And we moved to Richmond about seven years ago. So we had recently moved into a new house and it just happened that the house we're in has some tall trees and some woods behind the house and there's a creek. So, you know, some of it was, again, starting out as something for my kids, looking around and kind of picking some easy elements that are easy, that's simple for me to describe and kind of really uh, ring true for our family and then taking it from there. So finding things that are easy to, to kind of look around and, and describe, this is what the wood, the sound of the, the wind blowing through the trees sounds like, or the, the tall trees around the house and the creek and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I started with that idea. Um, and then in terms of, sorry, the rest, what was the second part of your question? Yeah, just, just future books. I mean, just kind of where your ideas come from and kind of, yeah. you know, did you have the whole series laid out or are you just kind of going as it, as the muse, as they say, lead you? Yeah. So the first book, I didn't really have a plan after the first book because I didn't even know that was going to turn into a book um, about five <laughs> five years ago. So I kept, uh, you know, looking into a lot about indie publishing and and marketing and the best way to market a, a book is to write a second book and all that. So I, I kind of got quick into looking into all that. And one of the things I thought would be fun was to veer a little bit from just the straight adventure that I started with Summer of the Woods and part of what we really enjoyed around Virginia was there's so much history and not being from the state originally um, around Richmond and the entire area, there's just history everywhere you go. So I thought it would be fun to kind of combine together those two elements of that adventure and mystery with some of the local history. And that was kind of a specific niche that I think has actually paid off really well and been a lot of the appeal locally at the very least. So in terms of building it out, that's what I've moved into doing once that initial book was done was kind of looking at what are some 
different historical locations around Virginia and some storylines that I think are really interesting and maybe things that aren't quite as well known and then use that as the backdrop in the setting and then take these characters that I developed and make up a fictional mystery plot, uh, adventure mystery plot that sets in into that location and those historical facts and kind of weave those together. So that's kind of the formula that I've used and, and it's, it's, it's worked pretty well. Some of the times the hardest thing is figuring out where to narrow it down to be because there's a, a wide range of things to choose from, especially in Virginia in terms of historical places and locations. Sure. No, I think that's great. I, I think that's a, you know, an example of, you know, those that are listening, uh, just ideas can kind of come from anywhere and they don't have to be, you know, huge profound things. It's like, Hey, we moved to a new place. There's some rich history. You know, maybe we can play with that. Um, I think, you know, I find it's interesting. I heard like John Grisham, Grisham talk about, you know, a lot of his, his lawyer books, you know, they're just, news stories, you know, and, and he just reads a lot of, you know, different lawyer, you know, trials and things. And he's just like a seed of a, of an idea comes from those stories, you know, and, and that's really, I mean, I think sometimes when we think about research, that's really all it is, is just kind of looking around and going, Hey, that's kind of a cool idea. Oh, Hey, that, that'd be neat. You know, and just kind of seeing where it goes. Um, so are you, yeah. um, how many books do you have in the Virginia mystery series so far? So there's six books in that series, and then I have a new uh, middle grade series called Brother Wars that the second book is going to come out next month. So those are the, the different kids' books. Okay. So are the Virginia books, are they done, or are they, you just kind of move into a different series for now? I've started that just to have a second one going along. I think different kids like different kinds of storylines, and it's fun for me to just have a little bit of a of a mix of things to write about that being boxed in a little bit to the historical mysteries in Virginia. There's some things you just doesn't fit into that box. Right. So, so I think it's good. It gives you a little bit of a break, but I'm planning to continue the series. I'm actually just the last couple uh, days have started some research for the next book and trying to, to figure out it's going to be tied into George Washington and Mount Vernon. So kind of figuring out some, some of what the, the facts and the history and, and then where does a storyline fit into all that? That's always sometimes the trickiest part of, of weaving those together um, before you start the rough draft. So tell us, tell us about the brother wars. Uh, tell us kind of where that's going. What's the, the kind of big idea on that one? Yeah. So it's as, as the title describes about a couple of brothers. So continuing the theme of, of what I know about and with my kids and things <laughs> like that. Um, so this is a little bit more of a lighthearted misadventures kind of story. So it actually started off as a short story that I wrote. And then uh, the first brother wars book, combined a couple short stories together into that first book and kind of woven wove those together. Um, but basically just two brothers that don't get along. I, I use a little bit of the inspiration. If you ever remember like the show, the wonder years, mm -hmm. um, th those two brothers, uh, that type of thing is that, that sort of dynamic. So they do things like lock each other in their pitch black, dark basement or run over their mom's rose bushes with a lawnmower and stuff like that. Uh, the, the new book is called cabin 11 and it's all about going off to a week at summer camp, which is something that I did several times as a kid up in the Adirondacks in New York state. So a lot of the normal stuff of what happens at summer camp, but just that whole interaction. And I think it's the kids playing off of each other, the, the brother, the older brother bullying the younger brother a lot and trying to figure out how they're going to get back at each other. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more fun adventures, but, uh, it's been well received by, by kids as well. And it, it's, like, like I said, it's nice to kind of have a little bit of a mix to, to change it up from a writer standpoint. Mm -hmm. Well, great. So, uh, so let's dig, dig a little bit further into your books specifically. I want to get into just a little bit of, um, some things I, I really, uh, appreciate about your books. Obviously people that listen to a podcast can't see, um, us and you're actually, I can see your books on the video feed, but, 
Um, one of the things I, I noticed right away was I loved your, your covers uh, on your, your books. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, especially for children's authors um, or really any author. Um, cover design is huge. Um, obviously, as indie writers, you know, we want to catch people's eyes and, uh, you know, we don't have huge marketing platforms and budgets and things. So covers can be can be great. So so talk a little bit about kind of how did you begin the process of, OK, I got this book. Um, you know, the story's done, you know, what kind of cover do I put on? I mean, what kind of covers a kid going to like, you know, um, yeah. Where, where did you kind of begin with that whole process? Yeah. And, and some of that took some figuring out because again, I didn't really know a whole lot about book publishing and, and cover design. So when I first started, when I first finished summer of the woods, I actually made the, the original cover myself. So mm-hmm. really, you know, all the things you're not supposed to do of, of finding sure. a, a crash course on Photoshop and, and kind of piecing something together with some fonts that look pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the second one I, I hired an art student, I think that I found on Facebook somewhere and she did a original cover design, which worked for the, for a while. Um, what I found was, you know, I really wanted them to be more professional looking. And as I realized the series was going to come out to try to make them go together in a series. So when I, when I published the third book, I found a cover designer who, you know, I, the direction I gave was kind of copying a little bit of that old Hardy boy, Nancy Drew kind of feel mm-hmm. that, that, uh, if you look at some old ones there, there's the, 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 the guys are always kind of standing on the side and there's some mysterious action scene going on. Um, so that was kind of what I, what I was looking for. And I think they, I'm really happy with them. I use uh, a, a graphic design company that's actually up in Canada. Um, ebooklaunch.com is the name of them and they do a great job. So they've been doing all the, all the covers mm-hmm. and I think it, it does give that consistency because what you want, you, especially as an unknown name in the beginning, you want people to be able to pick it up and find something that they're going to be excited about. And, and that's, that's, I don't know if it's more important than for adult books, but I think it's j- just as important, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would probably say with kids books, it seems, I mean, you know, the kids books, my, my kids read and probably yours too, they, they really are branded together. I mean, if you go pick up a, yeah. you know, Michael Connolly book, I mean, the covers, maybe the fonts the same, but really it's, they're usually pretty different. I mean, you know, you know them by their name, but you know, not necessarily by the, you know, and they look, look beautiful. I mean, yeah, I think what you're trying to go nice. for, they're, they're branded together nicely. And, you know, if, you know, you're going, Hey, Stephen K. Smith. Oh yeah. There's a bunch of them. They all look very similar. So um, so good job on that. Um, yeah, so, thanks. so also I was curious, uh, just also for those listening, um, one of the, the questions I get a lot too, and one I've wrestled with just as I've tried to put a couple kids books together, still working on them, but is the art on the inside. Um, I noticed you had, you had a little bit of art on the inside too. What, um, who did you use for that? Was it the same company or did you kind of have those ideas or how did that work? Yeah, it's something I struggled with originally. So, um, I had, found a art student again kind of doing things on the on the, the simple and the cheap to begin with and, and had some inter- interior little line drawings one one per chapter done in, initially and they're in the first book I've kind of changed it to chapter headings in the second book mm-hmm. after that uh, I decided to just kind of go focusing on the story and and didn't and continue to include interior illustrations. And I go back and forth sometimes. They've seemed to found a following without them. I think in a perfect world, um, and especially as an indie author that's still selling a lot of paperbacks, I'm I'm trying to be cognizant of how long the book is and how much does that cost per book and everything else to try to keep it the printing cost down and things. So Mm -hmm. 
I decided to really focus on the the writing and not the interior il, interior illustrations, and then just stick with the the quality of the the cover art on the outside. And and that seems to have worked out pretty well. I think you can go either way. You know, they're never going to be highly illustrated picture books or anything like that. Right. Um, but I, I kind of used the originally the idea of some of those simple line drawings that I remembered from some books when I was a kid. And, and started there. Um, what I've started doing is just having some little uh, consistent chapter headings now on the new versions that I've been publishing so that, you know, under chapter two, it has a little line drawing versus having, but that's consistent across the, the different chapters throughout the book, just, just to add a little bit more visual mm -hmm. kind of appeal and make it look a little bit more professional. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because the, uh, when I got feedback from my son, uh, my young, my middle or my younger son, he was six. He, he was like, where's the pictures? And then my older one, who's like almost 11, didn't really care. He kind of yeah. was like either way. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Like what, you know, does it, is it, would a kid not read it if it doesn't have pictures? But I think, you know, it seems like your stories are, um, you know, they're fast paced. They're not, it's not Harry Potter. That's, you know, 200,000 words. Um, right. you know, the story's going to kind of carry it. Not, you know, I hope, I feel like sometimes pictures actually are just filler, you know, they're just to like kind of fill in the space and keep kids interested. But, mm -hmm. you know, but I think if you're, you know, telling a good story, you could probably go either way. So, um, yeah, but yeah, and, and, yeah, go ahead. I was saying my, I, I don't tend to write super long. So my books tend to be, you know, they've gotten a little bit longer as they go between 20 and 35,000 words or, or most of them. So they're you know, like, you said they're not a hundred thousand word epics so that that also kind of keeps them fast paced and, and keeps our attention so yeah. i agree well, that's good and they're really i mean if anyone you know checks out your books um which i'll put in the sh in the show notes just notice how professional they are i mean you couldn't tell if you walked by and like is that an indie published or, or you know or traditionally published they're they're just as good as anything out there um and thanks and uh i wanted to hit a little bit just because our audience would be interested too is you sell a ton of pa paperback and I know everyone says, well, paperback's dead. Um, is that, uh, you know, a lot of kids obviously like paperback. Um, I've heard different, differing things. My kids actually don't really care about Kindle. Um, even, even if we buy a Kindle book, they're just like, Oh, I'd rather have the paper. Um, what, what has kind of been the reaction as far as, I know you sell a lot of Kindle books too. Um, it, does it matter? Is, is, is kids book better in paperback? Uh, what, what's kind of been feedback there? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I, I definitely sell more paperback, and they're all available. I have them in hardcover and paperback and Kindle, and I'm I'm getting more and more of them made into audiobooks along the way too. Um, but I probably sell twice as many paperbacks, at least uh, as I do eBooks, and that just seems to be how most kids are still getting at them, whether it's from the library or buying them online or, or whatever they're looking for, because. You know, my kids are the same way. They, I don't know if they've really ever read an ebook, and and my wife and I read ebooks, and I think that's a, obviously a big trend with with adults. But I think they, there's something about having the paperback in their hand. They can bring back and forth with them. It feels like it's something that they own as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have books on your Kindle, but it's not the same feeling that you actually have something. And kids like to have something, you know, like toys or other things that they have. This is mine. This is something I I can hold on to. And I think it's going to be a while until that changes. I think someday I'm sure the technology will get better adapted or, mm -hmm. you know, e-readers or change or paper or change or something. But I think right now that seems to be what most of them prefer. So mm -hmm. that is a really important thing. And I think something from the beginning that was, that was huge for me is to really focus on getting the, the quality of the printing and everything. So it's not just the eBooks and 
a little bit less flexibility than authors are used to with ebooks because you can't change things in and out as much. You have to have a, a supply on hand, and if you want to make some adjustments, it, it, it's a little bit more time intensive. But uh, it, it's important for sure. So are you going um, through, I know you have hardcover, um, and are you doing that through, you, um, you can't do that through CreateSpace, but, um, so tell me, are your paperbacks CreateSpace, and then are you going through someone else to do hardcover? And then tell me a little yeah. bit about your experience with hardcover, because I know I've heard mixed uh, things. Yeah, so I use two different um, printers, basically, for the for the paper book. So the paperbacks I do through both CreateSpace and then authors also through Ingram Spark. And then I do the hardbacks are through Ingram Spark. So basically I do the CreateSpace is, it seems to work best if people are buying paperbacks on Amazon. So that's where that basically pulls from. And then anywhere else pulls the paperback or the hardback off of Ingram Spark. Um, and I've, I started out doing it. I had a lot of librarians at schools saying we want something with library binding on them or some kind of hardcover mm -hmm. because they just last and they hold up better when people are checking out of the library all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's what I started looking into. And um, it's actually worked really well. Uh, the sales are, are starting to go up. And it's not that much more difficult. You have to have a separate ISBN number. And just a, it's, it's a slightly different size, but for the most part, it's just a matter of kind of uploading something separately, but use the same, the same text files and everything. So it, it's, it's once you do it, it's not that hard. Okay. Well, great. That's great to hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think um, a lot of authors listening are, are going to be, um, you might not even know that there's so many options, you know, these days for paper and hardback and, and uh, yeah, it's not as, it's getting easier and easier, which is exciting. Um, so, so let's throw it in reverse a little bit. Um, cause I want to hear kind of, uh, as you, you know, five years ago, you, you published your first book and obviously you're figuring out the whole indie writing publishing, you know, how do I get a cover? How do I figure this out? Um, and I, I love that part of your story. I love that uh, with all author story. I mean, all of us, including myself, clueless, don't know what we're doing. You know, how do we even, you know, <laughs> you know, where, how do you get a file? Where does the file go? What does this do? You know, how do I get it out into the, you know, cyber webs, uh, or whatever, yeah. um, but but talk a little bit about kind of that first book into the second to the third. Um, you know, as far as like, did you have an editor? How, like, what was your process? I mean, once you kind of got the thing done, what you're like, okay, now what? Um, Who did you send it off to? And then kind of how has your process changed? You know, from obviously first book to you know eight or nine. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's a lot like the cover. So again, I really didn't know what I was jumping into in the beginning. But I try to do one of the things I started doing from the very beginning was just doing a lot of research, reading books, you know, podcasts, ironically, you know, that's how I stumbled on yours. I've been rapidly listening to podcasts for the last five years. So probably half a dozen or more different ones. And that's kind of where I feel like I've gotten my master's, master's degree in indie <laughs> publishing from is through just podcasts because it's always updated. It's always up to date and there's always things evolving to learn about. Mm -hmm. So it really has changed dramatically of what I was doing then versus doing now. So in terms of editing, the first one, um, my, my wife was an English major. I had a family member that had been in publishing. So Having, having them look it over and do some editing and things and, and getting it out there. So not really the best way to do it, but that, that worked. Um, and I think it spoke a little bit to the strengths of the story that it was able to really find an audience and, and get a, a, adopted from that. Um, you know, after and did kind of the same thing. I, I published the second book only about six months after the first one. So was still kind of in the same process. And then once that third book, um, you know, I was putting that together and getting it ready to publish, 
that's when I started changing the process a lot. I got the new covers. I started looking for professional editors. So changing the steps to, to make sure that someone else was going through it. So what I, and that's been pretty consistent. I've had the same editor since that third book. So I, I make sure that she's going through and copy editing it. And then before it gets sent to the, to the publisher, to the printer, I have another proofreader that goes through and makes sure that no typos or any little errors are, are slipping through. Um, you know, so that, that's been a big change. And even the way that I'm doing now, I use Vellum now for all of my formattings, both for eBooks and for paperbacks. Mm-hmm. And, and even in the last few months, you know, continuing to get everything kind of up to, up to speed in that new formatting. And so that it, it's a little bit more turnkey so that if I do need to change things or if I have a new book coming out and I want to update the back matter in a book, then I can just go in and make some simple template changes. So trying to get things is very regimented and, and checklist oriented as possible so that from a production standpoint, it starts to be a little bit more turnkey, which, which is important. The more books you do, the more you realize that each book isn't necessarily as precious as you thought it was in the beginning. They're still great and, and they, they mean a lot, but I think it, and you want to make sure that every bit of quality and heart and everything's in there. But from a production standpoint, the more you can kind of get a regimented approach to say, this is the 30 things I do for a book, I have a little checklist that I just made a couple weeks ago, actually, just to say, here's the things I make sure so that it's not trying to dig back through notebooks and say, okay, what did I do after I did that? And, oh, I forgot to do that other thing. So that you can really know this is this is what needs to be done and try to make it as, as quick but also high quality as possible. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good. I think anyone listening, you know, idea of, of checklists, uh, you know, checks and balances kind of thing, it's, um, you know, once you do one, it, it really doesn't change all that much. You know, I think it's it's just book to book. You learn. I mean, the first one feels like an absolute nightmare and right. you, you just can't believe it takes that much work and that much time and you usually forget something and, you know, and it's in typos and everything else. But, um, but yeah, to have some kind of system, I think that works for you and, and works for your production schedule is really helpful. And, and you mentioned too, like having the same editors, um, same, you know, printers, once you kind of have like a f- familiarity as much as you can, that helps too. Um, I know a couple of my early books, I, I switch editors a bunch of times because just for a variety of reasons. Um, and, but to have a consistent one is really helpful and, and a gift. Um, and, yeah, uh, it really, yeah go ahead. It, really, it really is a lot about having a team. You know, I, I've heard mm-hmm. other people say this a lot too, but it's like being that general contractor building a house. I think if yep. you know who, you, who your mason guy is and who your shingles guy is yep. and everything else, you know, that consistency of knowing who to use and that you don't have to go searching around, that, yep. that's a big part of it. And, and that's, you can't do it by yourself. That's why I really yep. don't call it self-publishing as yep. much as possible because it's, yep. it's really indie publishing and it's, it's not doing it by yourself in yep. any way. Yeah, that I mean that's the biggest myth. It's not just you, you know, shooting a book into the ether. You know, there's editors, designers, proofreaders, kids, families. I mean, you name it, companies yeah. involved. It's you really are a publishing company. I mean, you're you're using contractors. Yeah. And uh and that's, you know, and and I think what's exciting um for those that are listening, it, it's it's become so much easier. Um I mean, it seems like every year there's just another either company that's come out or the technology just got better. And and so for us that are looking for help, you know, there's so many, you know, you mentioned podcasts. I mean, there's so much stuff out there to help. Um, there's really no question that that goes unturned. Um, yeah, so you're not absolutely. alone, you know, that's exciting. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, even like I mentioned, Vellum is a thing just in the last year that I started using, you know, another service that I know people talk a lot about is BookFunnel, you know, for getting advanced copies out to readers and things. I mean, it's just there's some those things that didn't exist a couple years ago are so much easier to do. And it really helps you do things faster and, and more efficiently. And, and from a result standpoint, have things work better in, in the in the process. So no, it's been great. So you said uh, earlier you, your books are about 20 to 30, 35,000 words. Uh, talk, talk to us about, you know, when you sit down to write, you have an idea for a book. Um, are you outlining that out? Are you getting a word count? Are you just kind of letting the story go where it needs to go? Um, yeah. And then kind of how did you even decide like that was a good length for a kid's book? Talk about that. Yeah, so I think the whole uh, pantsing versus planning thing, the more that I do, the more I realize that there's a lot of benefits to planning things out. So I'm, it's funny, I'm in that period right now where I have a few days here that I'm kind of banging my head against the desk, kind of figuring out what the plan for a a plot line is going to be for the next book. And, you know, it's a few days of pain to try to get that going, but I think knowing kind of where, laying the tracks ahead of time. So not that you can't change things around, but it really helps you. I'm trying to get a little bit more proficient about story arcs and character arcs and, and think about where it's going to go so that you're, you're not wasting time. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that is a big part. So I try to plan out as much as possible. You know, honestly, I do little outlines in a notebook first and, and just have some big picture of where connecting the dots. So I may even just draw some boxes across the page and say, okay, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and, that, and this after that. So that you know generally where it's going to go, and that, and that changes. But versus just sitting down and, and writing a scene because that may or may not give you the depth of the story that you wanted to have. So I think that that's been something I've evolved over time, and and that's even when I talk to kids. That, um, I do a lot of school visits, talking to students, and you know, trying to say it's a lot like anything else. The more that you learn how to play soccer, the more that you're going to get better at it, most likely. So you, it takes practice, and I like to say. The book I'm doing today is a lot better than the one I did three or four years ago. But some, there's a lot of reasons for that. It doesn't mean the story isn't as exciting, but in terms of the writing and the craft and figuring out mm-hmm. how to make it a little bit more complex, that's, that's something that I think has changed over time. Mm-hmm. So um, so that that's a big part of it. And I think trying to just stay with it and in terms of word count, um, it's a, it's a changing target for me. I just recently kind of moved to writing full time in, in this year. So starting in January. So my whole schedule is completely different than it was before that. So I'm figuring out like, what does a day look like when I have that to focus on all the time? So, um, like the month of January, I really wrote the rough draft for the, the latest brother wars book. And I was, some days I would get two or three thousand words. I was, a couple of days I got up to about four thousand words, and that, that's about as much as I could do on a day. But I think figuring out, getting a few hours of writing, so you're not getting burned out, but still where it's still coming from an interesting standpoint and in and dynamic in the story. Um, that that was the key for me there. But in terms of length, you know, I don't tend to just go on and on. And even the books that I read, I don't write, I don't read super, super long uh, epic fantasy books normally. So I'm always a little bit on the more concise side of things. Um, so it just kind of where where does it feel about right? And and the more I've done, I've purposely tried to again, it goes with the planning a little bit to see okay, if I generally know that a chapter is going to have 1,500 words in it or whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Where does this kind of get me to? And okay, if that's a little bit shorter where I'm aiming to be, what's a little bit of a diversion or something that you can do to make it go a little bit more in more in depth than what, what you had planned or a side character or a side plot or something like that. Mm-hmm. But 
Uh, it all goes with, goes with the planning a little bit more too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I mean, I think, you know, you obviously need to know who your audience is, what kind of books you're writing. I mean, some obviously write epic fantasies and you can't write a short one. Apparently you get crucified if you write a fantasy and it's not 8 million words. Right. Um, I mean, but, you know, I think like your boys, my boys reading books, it's like, I, I want it fast, dad. I want it exciting and I want it over, you know, quickly, efficiently. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Harry Potter you know, is, is just a well-written book. And I think it, it holds kids attention for a long period of time. So it's like, yeah, if you're going to write that big sprawling thing, you know, it better be interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, you know, you said a lot of interesting things about, you know, just learning, kind of learning who you are, learning what works for you, whether you're an outliner or a plotter, whether, um, you know, I just, that's the same thing, whether you're an outliner or a pantser, um, you know, depending on, you know, what kind of books you like to read, how long they'll be, you know, chapter to chapter, if you kind of know like how long your scenes are going to be, or your chapters are going to be, that really is helpful in the planning. Um, and, uh, you know, just learning the publishing game and the tools and, and, and a lot of it is experimentation and seeing what works. So, um, so I'd love to hear just a couple of thoughts on, um, just part of the writing publishing adventure when it comes to marketing and getting the word out. Now, um, why I'm really curious about hearing from your perspective is because you're writing kids books and obviously kids don't buy books. Um, their parents buy them for them. Um, and, and so that's probably a little interesting, um, tweak. I know some kids do, but mostly, you know, the parents are forking out the cash as you have kids. I have sure. kids. We for, fork out a lot of cash, um, yeah. is, uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. What's that been like as far as marketing, kind of getting the word out, you know, um, you know, website publishing marketing, uh, what have you been learning along the way? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is similar. So I think I sometimes say, especially from the indie standpoint, so I, I, I tend to listen to more indie podcasts, for example, than I do just podcasts about writing kids' books because I think there's actually more similarities for me to other indie adult writers than there is sometimes to traditionally published kids' book writers because it's just it's very different, obviously, in what you have to go through. So for me, you know, it's it's similar things. We're working a lot with Amazon um, to to get some of the the word out there and, and get adoption and distribution. Um, I found working more and more with, especially because my books are tied into areas around Virginia. So I've been doing over the years a lot of local events and school visits. So I've visited probably over seventy schools now um, in the last two or three years. So trying to get more institutionalized, I think is the way that I describe it. Because the way I figure, you know, while it's not a, a exact science, for the books that I write, I think the kids have kind of a four-year window that they're really going to be most interested in the stories. Mm -hmm. So that the good and the bad is there's always new kids coming along that are getting yeah. into that four-year window. The bad news is versus like a John Grisham, like you said, you might have a John Grisham fan for 40, 50 years mm -hmm. and, and you've got them hooked with your newsletter and everything else. You know, you've got a more limited window for those kids. Now, there may be siblings in the family, which can extend that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But what I've been trying to do is really get in front of schools and teachers and librarians and bookstores mm -hmm. and even on Amazon and things so that you're there as kind of an institution so that when new kids come through, they discover you either by word of mouth or things. So that's important. It's a little bit different, I think, than than adult books. Um you know, what I try to do is, and I think this works even from the Amazon algorithm standpoint, is what is it specifically that's unique about your books? And for me, one of the most unique things about the mystery series is they're very geographically based. Not that they're not appealing to people all around the world, sure. but that's kind of my core audience. So using that as kind of the group that's going to really 
start the the buzz with the algorithms on Amazon and things and then use that to pick it up and get it nationally or wherever else they're going to go. So that that's a big part of it. Um, and trying to, to see what's that what's that unique audience that is really going to latch on mm -hmm. and then using them as that subgroup that's going to help take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, so so that that's that's a, a lot of how I do it. And I think it's not that different than if you had some other aspect to, you know, if you're writing, um, you know, werewolf books for grownups or YA or something, then you're digging into that topic. For me, it's that geographic locations and, and that local aspect of it. And that's the kind of thing that's bridging it into the other, other, other audience types. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. That's really helpful. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, getting in front of like who, you know, libraries, schools you know people i mean that, that's i think so unique about children's books it's like yeah they're they don't have the wallet that they're pulling out the debit card and you know are clicking on amazon or whatever you know you are trying to you know looking at you know who actually is making those purchases and um yeah i love what you said about just generations you know obviously it's a small window of readers you know i mean there could be some adults that like to read you know eight-year-old to 12-year-old books but probably not that many um, right. uh but you know just saying how can i you know write for the next generation too um, yeah. so I, I think ahead. even though from a marketing standpoint, again, the idea that the, the kids aren't the ones with the wallets. So mm -hmm. it goes back a little bit to the covers and the book descriptions and things too. So the fact that there is a little bit of nostalgia mm -hmm. of the cover, Oh, this reminds me a little bit of like Hardy boys and Nancy drew. If this is something that even subconsciously you're tapping into with the parent that's mm -hmm. buying the book, or maybe even the grandparent or the mm -hmm. teacher, that might help aid the handoff process to just be one more thing in your favor to get them motivated to want to show it to their kid. Mm -hmm. And doesn't mean there's not going to be a lot of kids that aren't seeing it anyway on their own. But sure. those are some different things that if you can kind of appeal to say this is something that might help your kid feel the way that you felt when you were reading the kind of books that you did when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I think for me that that's sometimes I think I succeed more than others in that. But that's something I do try to tap into a little bit because you you have to look at who the buyers are for sure. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, so just tell us a little bit, uh, you, you've also mentioned you're writing under a pen name and some adult stuff. I know you did like a parenting book and, and all that. So what, what's kind of, is this a, a new kind of just adventure into writing some adult stuff you want to get out into the world or talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's interesting. So the, there's one book under a pen name. Um, the other book is, it's called splashing in the deep end. So it's basically, I started blogging, um, before I started the books for kids. So it, that's a kind of a collection of basically a memoir of being a dad to three boys that I kind of consolidated down into a book. Um, so that was just to, some of it was, I had that content out there and I thought it would be great to be able to utilize it in a different way and put it into a book. Mm -hmm. Um, the other book, Harborwood is under a pen name, Steven Sawyer. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of, I think we all have stories in, in us that we feel like need to come out. And I do think it would be fun to try. It's fun to try different things, even like what we talked about with the brother wars. Mm -hmm. So I think doing something a little bit different, I put it under a different name, not because I'm hiding it more just so that it's different from the kids, uh, sure. books that they're not kind of stumbling upon it. But, um, yeah, it's been fun. The, the challenge I'm having is even as a, as a, a full-time writing now is just in terms of choosing the projects mm -hmm. and, what I found is the series with kids books from a, from a sales standpoint does much better. And when you're starting something new as a standalone, you know, in all honesty, I've, I haven't had a tremendous amount of uptake yet on the, on the Harborwood. Yeah. And when I'm kind of decide from a business and time standpoint of, and certainly, you know, putting food on the table for the family kind of thing, all right, am I going to 
spend however many months, which is going to take more time because it's a newer thing that I'm less familiar with in a longer book to write another grown-up book right now? Or am I going to stick with three or four more kids' books this year that I know are proven sellers? So I haven't quite figured that out yet in terms of where that fits on the schedule of things, but I think it may end up being something that maybe I kind of just eke out on the side a little bit uh, on the fringes as I get ideas, but kind of still keep uh keep the the kid stuff going right now which is funny because it's a little bit the, the the opposite of what a lot of writers doing if mm-hmm. because there are a lot of inherent challenges of getting the kids books out there and having them penetrate the marketplace and get some sales up but um for me that's kind of where where the the momentum was generated to begin with so trying to kind of keep that going but it, it it's fun to it's fun to have different projects to kind of sink your teeth mm-hmm. into and give you a little bit of a, of a change of pace yeah. i think yeah, I like what um, you probably listen to like self-publishing podcasts, you know, Johnny and yep. Dave and, and Sean and I actually had Sean on here and, um, you know, he always talks about passion projects. He's like, you do, you have to have those projects that like, you know, probably not going to sell anything and, and yet you just have to get it out. You know, you have this story you want to tell and it's not always for financial gain or, or whatever, but, um, but it's just the, you know, it's that thing you can't measure. It's that love. It's that joy. It's that. Hey, I've just been thinking on this for a long time and I want to, I want to share it. One of my, uh, fiction books that I think is my best one and my favorite one. No one, no one buys. Um, and it's, you know, it's a standalone, but I, but I love that story and I always will. And it's, you know, right. and, and, and I'm very open about it doesn't sell, but it, and I don't think it's cause it's not a good story. It's just, it's just kind of by itself. And, um, but yeah, series definitely sell better. Um, so, uh, so tell me, um, just as we kind of get to the back end of the, the, the conversation here, uh, I, I love to just hear your um, this and this could help a lot of writers that are listening and, and um, you know, wondering. So you, you went full time about a year ago. When, when was kind of the moment where you said, you know, I think I think I, I have something here. I think it's something I want to do. I'm going to take the leap. I, um, tell us a little bit about just that journey. Um, you know, when did you kind of kind of feel like, hey, I think, you know, there's an audience here. There, there's something something here. I want to want to take a, a stab at this. Um, t- talk a little bit about that progression. Yeah, so actually, it was only about two and a half months ago that I went full time. Okay. So it's it, it's still a pretty uh, new uh, jumping without the safety net kind of feel. <laughs> so if there, every day is a little bit of an adventure in terms of getting used to that. Um, you know, I think for me, I had worked at a corporate job for nearly twenty years, and I was kind of ready to do something a little bit different. So when I started the writing, um, both the blogging uh, nine years ago and the and the book writing five years ago, it was as much of anything for a little bit of a change of pace and a diversion to kind of get a little bit of creativity out there that wasn't able to be done otherwise, you know, kind of to scratch that itch that, that wasn't getting uh, scratched, so to speak. Um, and then after probably the, the beginning of last year, beginning of 2017, the, the numbers started eking up and, you know, more and more things started to, to snowball a little bit, which is exciting to see. So, kind of started off, you know, when I first started the, writing the books, I was thinking to myself, all right, in, in the big picture, if I can trim a year or two off retirement at the, you know, years from now, that would be a good thing and, and something you can do uh, in retirement. It started to do more and more and started to get more requests for, for school visits and, and different events. And, you know, it starts to feel like you have two full-time jobs. You know, one is your nights and weekends jobs and, and, and one is your, your full-time job. So, about halfway through the year, it really started kind of hitting me that that in crunching the numbers a little bit and saying this is something that really could be viable and thinking to yourself, is there a leap that uh, that might be possible or a jump in, in the business that if you really go in with both feet versus one and, and see if you can get more, more um, 
books out there and spend more effort on it, you know, could it could it do even more? Um, so decided to kind of make that make that change kind of towards the end of last year. And like I said, it's been it's been a little scary, but it's been fun to kind of see the difference uh, of, of having a whole day or a whole week to, to, to work on things and trying to figure out that schedule. Um, like I said, I do a lot of events and things. So there are some weeks like last week, I think I was had three different days that I was out traveling and doing school visits and things. So it's, it's a mix, which is actually good. It keeps you from kind of being stuck mm -hmm. at, at the desk every day. But, um, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you see how it goes for uh, a year or two or three and, and hopefully it, it, it works positively. I, I, I comfort my, my wife and things to say, I, I'm still fully functional to be able to work and, and do, you know, back, uh, in the day job if anything doesn't go mm -hmm. the way that we hope. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that it's, I just kind of like doing indie publishing. I think there's something to be said for jumping in and giving it your all and seeing what happens. And I think so too often, you know, and it's not to, to judge other people and every different thing is, is right for different people. But I think sometimes people get held back a little bit by fears. And sometimes that is a good thing because you need to, you know, put put uh, bring money in and put bread on the table and that kind of thing. But, you know, trying to do something different, maybe it's only just making that leap part time mm -hmm. to start trying to put things out there. But I, I'm of the opinion that it, sometimes it's worth trying new things and seeing where it goes and uh, you, good things sometimes will happen and, and sometimes they don't work out. But if you keep trying things, uh, you know, you're putting yourself in a, in a better chance to to have those those risks succeed than if you, than if you really didn't make that jump at all. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but it's been fun so far. That's great. I'm so so happy for your success. And uh, I, I think you have a lot of great wisdom there, too. And I, I think, you know, what I love about your story is that, you know, this is a five year journey too, where you're, you're kind of putting things out there, you're learning some things. OK, next book, next book, next book and and getting a feel for, hey, this might be viable. I mean, you obviously didn't just jump in, you know, crazily and go, well, I made four dollars last month. So, you know, right. I, th I think this is going to go. Um, but you know, you're learning along the way and getting to a point where you're like, Hey, this, th there's something here and I, I love this. And you know, who knows, M you know, maybe this is what I need to do. Um, and, and I think, you know, everyone has a different opinion on how that works and, and when to do that or why to do that. But I, I love how you just said, you know, sometimes it is fear. It's, it's the fear of, you know, but, but that's, the, the, you know, I think I, you could also use the, the, the fear argument on the other side, like the day job isn't guaranteed either. I mean, in our economy, no, for sure. yeah, in our economy and our, I mean, I have friends every day that I, you know, lose jobs and, and, uh, you know, they thought they'd have that 30 year job too. So, um, so sometimes, yeah, you just have to kind of take that, that leap. Um, but I love, you know, just you know, reassuring your wife, that's probably the, the most, <laughs> most important thing if you are married, um, and say, Hey, I'm not just being a, a cowboy either. Um, so, so I'd love to hear just a real quick, as we kind of get to the end here, um, is have you seen, and again, I know it's a short, uh, test run here, but, um, just as far as production, like what has been your kind of book production, writing production since you've kind of, you know, left the day job? Um, it, are you, you know, how many books are you putting out a year or what's your goal of putting out a year? I mean, is that, has that changed since you went full time? Yeah, I mean, it's still a, a bit of trying to figure it out as we go along. So in the, in the past years, you know, generally about one book a year, and that was usually a few months of really heavy writing. Um, and then the rest of it just kind of doing the follow up and the marketing and things. So um, I don't know exactly how many I'm going to be able to get done this year. In my mind, I'm saying I'd like to do at least three. So that's still a lot more than, than doing one, one and a half a year. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying not to put too many pressures on myself because I, I want to make sure that it's you know reasonable. But 
I think so a few things one you know i i got a rough draft done in about three three and a half weeks in january um it's hard for me to believe it's already in march now so the 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 good news is that when you have the time and especially i was not consistently writing through the year in the past as much as you know in theory if you can write every day i think that i agree that is a good way to do it Mm -hmm. with my schedule and day job and travel and everything it just wasn't possible for me or i hadn't found a way for me to make it possible Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that is a change. And I think that's a, a, I found very quickly that after a few days of writing several hours a day, it's much easier to get back into it, whether it's a story or just get used to, you don't kind of struggle to kind of get it flowing again. So I think that's a benefit and something, you know, I'm learning as I go about just even for the next few weeks from now, how, what have I picked up here in the, in the last month that I want to really continue to tweak Mm -hmm. in my process. Um, but I think that's a part of it. The other piece is that, it's there's a lot and especially as I I'm trying to overhaul my systems a little bit too like I talked about to make it a little bit more of a process so as I get the flow going so there's a lot of things whether it's trying to redesign the website or or change the formatting on past books or different things so there's a lot that I find keeps me busy during the day even if I'm not just you know I'm not wasting time I'm just getting a lot of little things done or mm-hmm falling out and I try to do a lot of marketing and outreach to now that I have more time to try to see a wider circle of schools around Virginia that I'm trying to reach versus just staying right around Richmond before when I had to shoot out for an hour or two in the morning before work or something. So, you know, there's things that both have taken a lot of time. So that's some days that's a little frustrating because I'm like, I didn't get a ton of writing done today because I was still doing some of these other administrative things. But I think trying to just keep moving forward and and in the big picture that that will continue to to pay dividends. But, you know, I'm excited to be able to get more books out in a year. That's that's probably the biggest thing I'm excited about, because I think giving getting more access points, getting more funnels for people to get in there and find you, you know, that's only going to snowball and grow the more the more inventory you have for people to to find. So I think that's that's in theory the biggest uh, objective that I'm trying to to grab hold of here this year and, and hopefully it'll pay off. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's important. Something you said, uh, you know, we, we're called the prolific writer, you know, podcast and, you know, three, right. three books a year is not, you know, 30. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, when we think about being prolific, I think it's, it's about consistency. You know, it doesn't have to be every month you have to have a new book or, you know, twice a month as we've interviewed some, um, but you know, even you started off earlier, you know, one, one, one and a half a year, you know, and, and, and that's going to be different for everybody. And maybe that cranks up more, maybe that it's less and you just have to kind of be, you know, realistic and know what, you know, you also have to do it as a job and pay your bills and right. provide for your family. So sometimes that is, you know, I gotta, I gotta write a little more, but, um, but I think that's good. I think that's good. Just kind of figuring out, you're going to figure out, you know, we'd love to have you on in a year and talk about, Hey, how's it been? And what have you learned? And, you know, your rhythms and your, your, your process and things that'll probably change again. So, um, well, yeah, hey, for sure. Hey, Steven, thank you so much for coming on the show. And before you go, I, I want to hear, uh, just kind of projects you're working on, anything coming out. And then also like, where can uh, people find you and your books? Yeah. So I mentioned before the, the second book, book in the Brother Wars series, which is going to be called Cabin 11, is going to be coming out at the end of April. So just in time for kind of summer vacations and summer camps and things. So that's really what I'm got that in the final proof proofing now and about to send out some uh, advanced copies to readers and things. So that, that's coming out. And then I'm just starting to do some research and outlining for the, the seventh book in the Virginia Mysteries series, which I think is going to be tied into George Washington and Mount Vernon. So lots of good topics there. 
taking a little trip over there on spring break with the family in a couple of weeks too. Cool. So, um, yeah, so that's coming out. Um, so that'll keep me busy for, for a little while. And the best place to find me is, uh, my website, which is, um, virginiamysteries.com is, is probably the easiest way to, to grab on. So I get uh, updates on there and I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. So love to, love to connect with people. Well, great. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, you definitely helped a lot of people today. So uh, thanks for making the time. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Prolific Writer Nation. Stephen K. Smith dropping some writerly inspiration and writerly wisdom bombs on us. So thank you so much, Stephen K. Smith, for coming by the show. Go check out his books on Amazon. Go pick the series up for your kids. And I just love the the humility of Stephen. What a great story. I think we've all kind of started uh, at that place of, you know, I'm just writing this book for my kids or I'm writing this book because I just want to have a book to hold my hand or just feel the sense of accomplishment uh, that finishing writing a book does. And and look at the success is happening. And I'm hearing this story time and time again. I just interviewed someone recently that will be out later. But, uh, you know, all he wanted to do was just hold the book in his hand. And uh, and now he's selling thousands and thousands of books and, and getting his name out there and, and sharing his, his craft with others and, and his stories with others. So, so thank you, Stephen K. Smith. Hey, if you get a chance, our two things, our show is always hosted and, and supported by the Project Entertainment Network. So go check, check out projectentertainmentnetwork.com and there's just tons and tons of podcasts there. I'd love to share the love of, the, of our family of podcasts. You'll hear one at the end of this show. Um, and also, if you get a chance, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you hear this show. It really helps us get the show out into the world and help more writers. And so if you could leave a kind review or if you don't like the show, hey, leave a nasty review. I don't care. Whatever. Um, but no, we, we'd love for you to do that. So thank you for coming by the prolific writer. This is Ryan J. Pelton. And I only have one thing to tell you is go get those words on the page and I'll talk to you real, real soon. Every person's story has something to teach us how others view life, how obstacles are overcome, how joy is felt, how fears are faced, how love is expressed. The matters of faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part. It may not be your story, but it may help shape yours. The Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn is on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 